0: For us to have a former leader in a federal enforcement agency sitting with us talking about cannabis, this is remarkable. Welcome to another episode of Cultivate. This is a show about you and your journey in the cannabis industry. It's moving fast, but there's room for everyone. Buckle up as we bring you the people and the technology that are blazing the trail.
1: I'm Drew Emmer and this is Scott we are live at MJ Biz Vegas 2019. It's been an epic show so far. I'm
0: excited about our guest in this episode, uh, Charles Feldman. Uh, welcome to Cultivate. Uh, happy to have you here. Um, this guy's resume or curriculum vitae, as it were, reads like the who's who. I mean, you're mm-hmm. uh, you're a named. Uh, uh, founder of a law firm in Colorado you're a, f- a former you United States Marine you're uh, active uh, in the cannabis industry representing and advocating for and defending a broad variety of people globally um, super active in uh, the wildlife defense area military justice um, you, you come to us a uh, 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 connection that we made through the industry as the principal of gateway proven strategies. Welcome to Colgate and thanks for taking the time. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It yeah. really is. Yeah it's really you know I've got a lot of questions. Scott's got a lot of questions. I mean one of the most fascinating things um, we'll get a, a, a zoom at some point on the lapel pin that Charles has on um, the DEA badge and for us to have uh, former leader in a federal enforcement agency sitting with us talking about cannabis. This is remarkable. So can you it's talk really about cool. how you uh, crossed the chasm and became an advocate for cannabis after being so uh, active in leadership on the side of the DEA?
2: Yeah, i love to. Um, you know, I, I started my career, as, as you mentioned, as a United States Marine. I went through law school through the Marine Corps. Um, did a, did a couple tours uh, with the Marine Corps and ended up, um, I think, either defending or prosecuting about every crime known to mankind. So it was a, a very holistic experience. I did a lot of uh, Southern California narcotics prosecutions, um, some of the bigger busts that we had done. This was kind of back in the 90s. Um, so, you know, as this kind of warrior mentality, I, I just was all about service. Um, you know, I believed in the mission and then after my active duty service, I, uh, came back to Colorado where I was from and I was a commander for a DEA drug task force in, in Colorado and, uh, really engaged in the war on drugs as kind of that foot soldier, like right at the front lines. Um, you know, I was in charge of our task force. I was in charge of the strategy. Um, and all the federal logistics that went with that. Um, and then prosecuting all the crimes that you know we came out of that. So I, I really got a, a wide variety of experience coming from the law enforcement side of what our war on drugs was like. Um, and I also kind of what I talk about now is I got a really good taste of the propaganda machine that I learned about from our federal government. Um And that was new to me. Um, I think I I really lost some of the uh, faith as that frontline soldier. Uh, The more that we were engaged in in the war on drugs, you began to see that there were legitimately some people who should be prosecuted using our criminal justice system. You know, they were abusing children. They were, uh, you know, some pretty horrific, extreme cases that I think all of us would get behind. But honestly, the vast majority of the bullshit that we did was really focused on um, on sort of our cultural background, that we had demonized uh, certain social decisions um, and it had become a, a corporate big business for government, for job security. Um,
0: so let's, let's go off on a, yeah. we're gonna go off on tangents. This is gonna be a fast moving uh, interview. It's just, I got so many questions to ask you. If you, if, if you just focus on the political conversation in our country and how it's changed over the course of time that you've been involved in it, what is the political conversation today and what's the, where's the hopeful outcomes? We're, we're sitting in the MJBiz uh, convention in Las Vegas, the largest convention in the cannabis industry. There's a lot of people with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears invested in developing this business. And where's the where's the hope for tomorrow? And where's the where are we going and what are we doing or what are we failing to do right now to promote the the cause? That's a great question. Um,
2: You know, I I look back uh, for so long, I felt like I was the only sort of federal agent who, you know, kind of coming from that background, the military, the law enforcement side who had crossed over. Um, and you know, I've been now an active uh, cannabis advisor for over a decade now. Throughout- did
1: you? Sorry to interrupt. Did you catch a lot of backlash? I did for that transition. Yeah,
2: I absolutely did. There was this mindset of going over to the dark side of now. You're kind of a traitor to the cause, um, which is interesting. That was ten years ago. Today, I get a lot of peers who are retiring saying, "Hey, Charles, h- how do I get into this business? Wow, this is exciting." And I'm kind of like.
0: Yeah, well, that's my, the pain of leadership. When you're the guy that takes the risk yeah. and takes on the challenge and goes out there, you, you, you do take flack. I mean, you, you do. do you do end a- up taking- Anybody who's moving
2: uh, a social norm or creating a new industry is always going to have arrows in their back, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I see that change just in my own personal experience of, of the acceptance coming out of government- um, of the inevitability of where this is going federally and, and legalization and um, you know I think there's real social movement of not wanting government to tell us, you know we're as Americans we're very traditional and don't tell us what to think right And two, I think there's really uh, what I've been a part of is don't tell us what sort of medicine we can put in our bodies or what our doctors should be able to prescribe for us. government should not be in that business. And that has moved us forward, I mean, very aggressively forward to even now and at GPS Global, I mean, I'm traveling the world, speaking around the world because everybody wants in this U.S. marketplace. Everybody does. And they're trying to figure it out and they want to know when is this federal change going to happen and how is that going to happen? Do you have a,
1: a guess on when that will happen?
2: You know, I love the I usually when I speak, I ask everybody in the room to be like, what do you think? And yeah. you know, it's it's anywhere from tomorrow to, you know, <laughs> 10 years out. Yeah. Um I think it's so hard in our country right now with politics. Um even with the banking bill next year, um I'm still 50/50 on that just because of impeachment and politics and election year. It's so hard even when government agrees for them to get anything done. Yeah. So I I really struggle with when that happens, but I do see the, the hemp, the farm bill, as a way for the federal government to move this forward, you know, to, to slowly, methodically, which is what government likes to do, not all of a sudden um, in the Canada model, they, they'll never do it in a year like they did, um, but you see those slow chipping away, that progress. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful we'll see real change in the next few years. So
1: jumping back a little bit, so you retire from being a DAA commander.
2: Then how does, where did that leap come into the cannabis space? I started my own law firm like 15 years ago, went into private practice. I felt like I'd done enough government service by then, was ready for doing my own thing. Um, we had our first cannabis client about 10 years ago who was entering Colorado's big social experiment as medical and then recreational happened. Um, was a high net worth, very sophisticated individual, and they really wanted back then. You know, people were still going to jail. Um, there was still this threat from the DEA and the and federal prosecutions. So, high net worth individuals wanted to know and understand that landscape before just jumping in. Yeah, um, and that that's how I got my start, and really was able to grow and advise everywhere from the mom and pop, you know, startup to now, you know you know, gazillion dollar multinational tobacco and beverage companies. I mean, again, I'm, I'm with you. It's so exciting right now to see the world of, of cannabis and marijuana
0: and hemp. It's, so before we forget, yeah. um, if someone wants to engage you in conversation or to speak or as a potential client, how would they reach you? What's the best way for people to connect with you?
2: GPS.global, that's easiest way to grab me. Um, and again, I, I love talking about this, thinking about it, building strategy, really navigating. Um, and it's fun now to see how much the industry has evolved and grown up um, and where it's moving towards, You know, moving from a movement to a true industry. Yeah. Um, And to be a part of that, you know, as as a business professional and a counselor and building strategy, it's it's a great job right now. I mean, I'm thoroughly loving it.
0: We've had an experience of working a lot of shows over the years together. And I would say and correct me if you think this is inaccurate, but we've had uh, a lot of people uh, early on in the process. There was a real stoner mentality in the cannabis industry. And if you walk through this show today, or if you even go to the local dispensaries and experience the way that products are being merchandised and the way things are being presented, well, the the uh, was it apothecary that we went to, and all the bud tenders were
1: wearing sport coats and dressed up and had ties on. I walked in, I'm like, wait,
0: we're it's in like a It's like walking dispensary? into an iPhone store. It's like we've it, we've seen a a, a separation between and. This is no uh, uh, slam to the stoner community. I mean, we're all freedom-loving people. We'd like to see everyone have the chance to make the decisions that they want to make for themselves personally. But the stoner mentality has really diminished. Have you uh, noticed that? I mean, you're not a guy that that I think anybody would... would, uh, We can ask you deeply personal questions about personal use or any of that. But you're not a guy that I would identify with the movement from where we started.
1: Yeah. Uh, i think back to like the champ show that we did in atlantic city in 2016 looking back at that show and then looking here it's like this is not even the this same this is industry. Like fortune
0: 500 you know this is like uh, walking into an in- and i used to come here for the consumer electronics show for years uh we participated in comdex and different things and this has a feel of that i mean it is professional it is sophisticated i mean what what are your? I mean, you've you've walked uh, through this when it was more stoner culture, and now it's become so professional. How, uh, what do you think about that?
2: I, I think you're spot on. I mean, I remember the first MJ Biz conference and what exactly what you described, What it was to this, you know, today it's such a different level, and it's where I talk with clients all day long on the level of sophistication and business acumen has just exponentially increased. So. The days when you could just get a license and you know, you knew how to grow in your basement and you get like, those days have come and gone. Like, you know, you just continue to see consolidation and commoditization. And it really is becoming a legitimate industry. And whether it's a state, a national, or even where I see it as a global supply chain kind of industry, um, you really got to be sophisticated. You got to know what you're doing. You got to know what a business plan is and how to put that together. Investors, you know, we guide a lot of capital these days. Um, those days of crazy Canadian valuations, that that yeah. is gone. Like you got to have real revenues. You got to yeah. know what you're doing, you know.
1: So you can't throw a, a marijuana leaf and green, whatever. No. And you can't just have a cool
2: a- brand or a cool idea or you know just because you got the next greatest vape pen i mean there's 400 vape pens in the market like and the best isn't necessarily what's going to be you know uh, the outlast everyone else right? okay so
0: you brought up vape pens i have to ask yeah. you i got a black helicopter uh, syndrome that exists in my own consciousness i listened to the news on a specific day a couple months ago everybody same talking points attacking the vaping industry the whole vitamin e acetate blah 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 a, a sliver of a really uh important industry gets gets identified as being uh in in trouble because they're doing something incorrectly and it's dangerous but then the entire the conflation is the entire vaping industry gets lumped in and it felt like such a hit job i mean am i Am I fantasizing? Am no, I, I think lost? you're right on. Okay. Absolutely. So from your perspective, can you talk about the powers that be in terms of the the tobacco industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the the people that don't want to necessarily uh, see the uh, succeed. these companies thrive that are in this room?
2: You know, I kind of have a different perspective on that. I think those big industries do want it to succeed because they're going to participate in it. They're I think are some real strategies. And I know just because I'm I'm involved in several of those um, for them to figure out their place in that. You know, the the CBD infused beverage market is a great one to start, you know, where that starts. And then that moves into, you know, an actual THC kind of beverage and mixing alcohol and, and high. Well, and the t-
0: Constellation Brands uh, yeah. CEO just took over as the head of one of the major LPs in Canada. Right. Canopy. Yeah. 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 So
2: I, I do see... Um, That sort of big box, whether it's pharma, tobacco, you know, whatever that's going to be, I do see their involvement in it. Um, I don't think it's completely decided yet how that develops, you know, how that evolves. Um, But I do agree with you on the on the vape It's a great example of especially where I focus on this still this unregulated, illegal, you know, the that marketplace is alive and well and how that really affects. The legitimate, um, you know, people who have invested so much time and energy into bringing this out of the shadows into a true business environment—that that illegal marketplace still has a cause and effect. You know that those bad vape pens, which I really think is a lot, what that was is is unregulated black market That's sort that's of stuff. that was my interpretation of the whole deal.
1: The people that got sick or hurt from these vape pens were getting them off the black market. They weren't coming from the legal market
2: right they i were know no I, legitimate players it takes were- me right back to dea days most of the time people weren't hurt from cocaine they were hurt from what it was cut with yeah. so all the other you know shit that uh, people would put into that is the same thing we saw in these vape pens you know cutting it with stuff that just should never been in there and that legitimate business doesn't put in their product right
0: so I look at the enforcement side of things as everybody's just following orders. You know, back in the day of the, the days of the war on drugs, it was just really basic for somebody that's on duty, that's on the job. They they need to obey the orders that they've been giving. It's it, it's the it's the vision of what you're supposed to be doing. Everybody's just doing their job, right? So now I look at the news. Uh, lately, there were a number of seizures of hemp because the drug enforcement people were unable to differentiate between hemp and cannabis. And there was a lot of, there, there was a, just a lot of uh, risk and a lot of loss that people incurred because feds or state enforcement agents had taken over shipments of of hemp. Is that, is there a way to resolve that? Is there, uh, 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 do you anticipate that there's going to be uh, better tactics for people to use in terms of Enforcement?
2: I I do. I I think it's a great place where technology, you know, plays a role. You know, the DEA put out a a bulletin last year looking for some sort of, you know, you go use the alcohol example, some sort of roadside machine that would help them decide is this marijuana or is this truckload of of legal farm bill hemp? Yeah. Um, and so they're looking for that. They don't have
0: technology exist yet?
2: Um. Yes and no. I think there's some really uh, good companies who are moving in that direction. It's not wholesale on the market yet. Uh, but again, man, whoever solves that
0: problem, uh,
2: that's, they got a great uh, little IP and product because they does, actively want to buy. Does the
0: technology exist yet? In uh, to ascertain whether or not I'm uh, legally legal to drive.
2: Well, th- that'll be a whole nother topic. You know, sort of. You know, the alcohol industry went from hey, are you competent to drive your car because you had a beer to a number? Hey, it doesn't matter whether you're a good drunk driver or not. If you're over this blood alcohol content, that's a crime. Yeah. So marijuana, the, you know THC, we haven't had that science yet. We haven't had the decades to figure that out. So we're still a lot in that there's no direct comparison to the 0.10 or 0.08 because it, it has yeah. a different effect on the body. So again, we'll get there. I mean, and, and law enforcement, you know, back to your question, we continually try to have the mindset, we didn't make policy, we were there to enforce it. Um, and that got tougher and tougher to do. And really for me personally, I saw that that just really wasn't the case. Law enforcement has an enormous amount of discretion. You know, and you get pulled over, that, that patrol officer, that state patrol, they have an enormous amount of discretion on whether you're gonna get a warning Or whether they're going to, you know, tag you with every violation they can come up with legitimately. So I, again, saw that even more so in the war on drugs where, um, you know, a lot of what I believed or had been taught just was not true. It wasn't accurate. Um, And just incarcerating people um, who had made different social choices than maybe I had done as a young Marine, um, that wasn't a good use of our criminal justice system. And that's really what pushed me that other way.
0: So I'm curious, you're a Colorado resident. That's where your, yes, your business is based. Um, everybody that I talk to, there's there's two ta- sets of talking points. There's the t- set of talking points where the impact of cannabis uh, normalization in Colorado has been a boon to the school system, to just the, the, the amount of money that's come into the state and the overall welfare of the people in the state. Great uh, uh, contribution. The opposite of that is also a set of talking points that I hear regularly about, you know, uh, there's all sorts of deleterious effects that have come forward because of the the way things changed in Colorado. As a Colorado resident, and as a guy that's got his face right up to the windshield of this industry, can you give me your opinion about, or give us your opinion about, what is the social impact the commercial impact the societal impact of the normalization of cannabis and as colorado as a model yeah and and if there's
2: any
1: negative effects that you've seen
2: yeah there there are there are both so i mean again i early on i spoke a lot as country or as state by state was moving into that either medical or recreational and i would meet with law enforcement And we would talk about, hey, the world didn't end in Colorado because we legalized marijuana. You know, it really was okay, And there were mistakes made. Colorado made a ton of mistakes because there was no one else out there figuring it out. Um, So, yeah, there are some social impact to any new drug that you introduce, you know, that you legalize. So I think anybody, I would call them more on the activist side who are like, oh, there's never a negative side. I'm like, that's just not true. I mean, it's just not. And I think it, it we shouldn't hide from that fact or be embarrassed by the fact that, yeah, there are social changes for the 70 years of proba- prohibition that we've had. Um, I think in Colorado, though, most of the citizens would tell you overwhelmingly it's been a positive experiment. I mean. Um, there has been you know a billion dollars of tax revenue that we that's didn't have I mean think about that for a small five million person state that's yeah that's a ton of money that's a lot of money that government has had available to build new schools hire new teachers and, and have actually done that um, so I think as a, a G, you know not even involved in the industry just walking the street um, I do smell marijuana in Colorado a lot and I've gotten used to that now I miss it um, when I get off the plane and come home, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm home because there's that fragrance there. Yeah. Um, you know, that sort of a socialization that, that has changed to where it's accepted. I think some, for me, the biggest thing is seeing my, you know, my parents, my, my 70 year old parents, um, change their perspective coming from a very conservative, you know, religious law enforcement side to being like, Hey, this really is medicine and it, it, it can really help people. Um,
0: how do you respond to people when they talk about the uh, homeless uh, situation we get a lot of feedback from our experience in california where there's a really severe very obvious uh, problem with people sleeping outdoors yeah Um, is there an opinion that you can share about where we are in this regard in terms of the impact of cannabis yeah, I, I mean,
2: Colorado is a great example. I think that is one of the negative social ills that we've had from this industry uh, industrialization of it is we we do have a, I, you can't deny it a greater homeless population. There's been more of a draw because it a uh, It's this recreational uh, state, um, but again, I, I think that is a a social problem. You know, it is a a social. Issue that we have to solve using those particular tools, and that's government, private industry, um, not-for-profits. Um, what it's not is a criminal justice issue, and and we as Americans all too often, coming from that, it's easy for us to try to solve problems with that big hammer, right. um, and that's what criminal justice is. It it has its place in society. You need the big hammer for some. There are some real monsters out there. But I got to tell you, I mean, in my opinion, 90 percent of what's in the criminal justice system should be somewhere else. Um, that hammer is just really not a solution. Right.
0: We're thrilled to have you on our podcast. Oh, thanks. You're this is awesome interesting. Guests. I could just and I we sit could go on listen. for another hour, but <laughs> I want to invite you back. Uh, we could Love to. work on some curriculum, come up on some things. bova is not uh, anybody's uh, star of anybody's show. We're an asterisk on the on the whole industry as far as our desire to be involved in keeping cannabis at a certain quality level yeah so a big part of what we bring to the table is our passion and our desire to edify others and to support the industry and in moving forward and doing the right thing and being persistent and finding a way to stand behind this movement and, and really be a part of pushing it forward so we're grateful for you coming and joining us on the podcast today um, really cool to meet you. I mean, uh, fascinating to be with a guy who's, a, you know, a, a named principal, on a founder of his own law firm, a, a lengthy service career with the United States Marine Corps. Um, just the, the position you have in the cannabis industry, coming from where you came from, it gives us an opportunity to share with people that may have more interest in listening to you and your opinions than they do to a lot of the talking points that we see in the news. So thanks so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for your
1: service. Law enforcement and military. Yeah, Yeah,
0: Charles Feldman.